0: The last class of my old professor's life took place once a week in his house by a window in the study where he could watch a small hibiscus plant shed its pink leaves. The class met on Tuesdays. It began after breakfast. The subject was the meaning of life. It was taught from experience. No books were required, yet many topics were covered, including love, work, community, family, aging, forgiveness, and finally, death. The last lecture was brief, only a few words. A funeral was held in lieu of graduation. The last class of my old professor's life had only one student. I was the student.
1: My view is I want to be useful. I want to give as much as I can. Now sometimes that's not easy but as long as I can I will be as useful as I can.
0: That was the voice of Maury Schwartz, and my name is Mitch Album, and you are listening to the Tuesday People podcast, which is inspired by the lessons that I was blessed to have sitting alongside my old college professor, Maury Schwartz, during his final months of his life that resulted in the book Tuesdays with Maury, which certainly changed my life, wasn't expected to become a, a book of note in any way, and it has become that. And as a result, Maury is able to continue to teach the things that he treasured and valued all over the world. And I am now able, feeling that I finally reached the age where I've absorbed most of the lessons, to share some of those tapes and those conversations with all of you. And we're glad to have you joining us. Alongside, as always, is Lisa Goich, our producer extraordinaire. Hi, Lisa.
2: Hello, Mitch. Happy Tuesday.
0: And this is the Tuesday before Thanksgiving. And that is going to inform our topic today, because the topic is giving is living. Giving is living. And this has to be when people talk to me about, what did you learn from Maury the most? What is the biggest lesson that your time with Maury and Tuesdays with Maury resonates? I would probably point to this one more than any other. It's had a profound effect on me, and I think before Thanksgiving, it's probably a good time. Giving is living. Now, Let me tell you how we came to this, Lisa, and how I came to that sentence, which was something that Maury said to me, and I have never forgotten. And I hope you never forget. And it's good because it rhymes. So it's easy to remember. (laughs) Giving is living. Uh, So here's how it came about. As you know, I was visiting with my old college professor, Maury Schwartz, who was dying from Lou Gehrig's disease, and I went every Tuesday to his home. Now, there were other people who came to visit him. He had been on Nightline numerous times, and a lot of people who had had tangential connections to him rekindled those and came to see him, what would end up being sort of a one-time visit. I don't want to say it was because of his celebrity or things like that. They just were reminded that they cared about him and they came to visit. But some days they would come on Tuesdays, even though most of the time it was just Maury and myself. And I would notice a pattern to some people who came and visited who were not comfortable with someone dying. They would prepare almost like a presentation, Lisa. They'd they would they'd have photos of their kids. They'd have evidence of their work. And they would go in to his office. They would stay outside and then, you know, get ready, get ready, kind of get psyched up, you know, ready to go. Mm -hmm. And they'd go into his office and the door would close. And they'd come out an hour later in tears. But they would, yeah, but they would be crying about their divorce, their love life, their job, (laughs) their personal unhappiness. And I would talk to them. I'd say, oh, I don't know what happened. I went in, I tried to cheer him up, you know, but after a couple of minutes, uh, he started asking me about my life. And so I started talking and they started really asking me. So I started really talking. Next thing I know, I was really opening up, you know and, and I was crying about it. I went in to try to comfort him, but I ended up being comforted by him. So I watched this happen, Lisa, multiple times. And finally, on one particular Tuesday, I went in to Maury. I said, I don't get it. I don't get it. If ever anyone had finally earned the right to say that sentence, let's not talk about your problems. Let's talk about my problem. <laughs> would be you, Right. If ever anyone had finally earned the right to say, you think you got it bad. Right. <laughs> right? Look at me. I can't move. I'm, I'm lying in a chair. I need someone to turn my head just to look at you. I need someone to reach down my throat and pull up the phlegm so I don't choke on it. I need someone to carry me to the toilet and wipe my rear end. You've hit the mother load of sympathy here, Maury. <laughs> right. you, you are the that ultimate. your time. <laughs> this is your time. Your time to take it all in. Why don't you take advantage of it? And Lisa, he looked at me as if I had just stepped out of a spaceship. And he said, Mitch, <laughs> why would I ever take from people like that? Taking just makes me feel like I'm dying. Mm-hmm. Giving makes me feel like I'm living. Giving makes me feel like I'm living. That is a profound little sentence. That it sure also, is. It also rhymes. So it's also it easy to remember makes me feel like I'm living. And I was floored when he said that. And I think to this day, it resonates with me as like, why didn't you see that? And wow, is that ever true? And if you want to talk about a valuable lesson that you can learn from someone who is dying, that is applicable to your life now as you are living it, this is the one. Because you can actually do something about the way that you are living change the direction if it's not making you happy, and affect, who knows, depending on how young you are when you're listening to this, if you're in your 20s and realize what he was saying, you may have another 60 years of life that are going to be infinitely better than if you don't absorb this particular message. Giving makes me feel like I'm living. Now, we know this to be true, because deep down, Lisa, you know the opposite is false. Taking never makes you feel alive.
2: No, never.
0: It is a basis is
2: faking, Mitch.
0: Oh, well, that's a <laughs> Los Angeles thing. Her. I don't that's, know.
2: That's really not as um, Yeah, not that as rhymes. As not as profound, <laughs> but rhymes. Taking is faking. That's good.
0: Well, taking doesn't make you feel alive. It's, of course, it's the basis of advertising. It's the basis of Madison Avenue. It's the basis of commercialism that if you take something, you're going to feel better. And, and, and think of all the commercials. You know, if you showering with this underarm soap, mm, mm, now I'm, I'm ready for the day, you know, or you got a new washer and dryer. Oh, now my life is really good, you know. But we all know that that's crazy. We all know that that's false. And we all know that it fades. No matter what new thing you get into your life, thing, it fades. Right, no matter what new thing you take, it fades. Go back. Everybody's like a kid on Christmas morning. You ever see a ten-year-old on Christmas morning? Okay, Christmas is coming up, so you're going to witness this. Put a present in front of a kid on Christmas morning. And they open the box. You know, this is great. What else you got? Right. Always on mm-hmm. to the next thing. Right. I, I always do this exercise when I go out and and uh, speak about these lessons, and I find this usually resonates. So Lisa, take this test along with me. And everyone who's listening, do the same thing, okay? This is a mental test, but it will prove the point that I'm making. In your mind, go through the litany of cars that you have had in your life, all right, from the moment you were able to drive, right? Mm -hmm. With the first car, when you get your license, what is the one and only thing you care about?
2: Going to pick up my
0: friends. Right, and in order to do that, the car must run, (laughs) <laughs> right, oh, that's okay. the only thing you care about. Please, God, let this oh, car sure. run, because you're probably r- probably driving an older car, or you know, the, if your parents give it to you, it's the junky car, or if you get one, it's the junky car. So, please, God, let it run. And of course, please, God, let the radio work, because there's no point in that's, in, that's you know, true. Right, there's no point in driving <laughs> if your radio doesn't work, or now a CD player or whatever you know, whatever the MP3 player, whatever anybody's using. Okay, that's all that matters in the first car you drive. All right, and then a few more years pass, and maybe you buy your first used car. And you just want to, you know, get something that functions and get you from point A to point B, you know, and then you save up some more money and some time passes and you finally can get a new car. And you say, boy, if I got a new car just once in my life, I could never want anything else, right? I mean, it's a new car. Uh, Who who could want anything more than a new car? I just want to, I want to see the sticker and I want to smell the smell, you know, I want to be able to drive it off the lot with with zero, zero, zero on the odometer. You know, if I could have a new car, I could never want anything else. I could never want anything else, right? So then a few more years pass and you say, well, you know, I've got, got a family now. I just need something a little bit bigger, you know, I just have a little bit bigger car, but never want anything else. So you get a little bit bigger car, you know, and then, then you get a second car, you know, who could want more than a second car? And then suddenly you're in your 40s and you say, you know, I know it's crazy. I know it's nuts. I know, I, I know you're gonna laugh at me, but I've always wanted a convertible. There, I said it. I always wanted a convertible. If I could have a convertible, I could never want anything else, right? So you finally get yourself a convertible and you're driving down the street and you look over and you say, boy, those SUVs, they're really nice, right? Poor man want to be rich. Rich man want to be king. King King isn't satisfied till he rules everything. That's not me. That's mm-hmm. Bruce Springsteen. You should recognize that, at least. <laughs>
1: that Bruce Springsteen. But it's,
0: it's a good line, though, right? It, it the, is a the, good line. Yeah. yeah, and it's true. The taking never makes you feel alive. It's just stuff. It's just stuff. Think of, here's another example. Think of those movies where the patriarch of the movie, the older guy, you know, head of the family, he's dying. And everybody gathers around to hear his last words. And they all gather around the bed and they're leaning in closely. And he's about to mumble some final words before he leaves this earth. Does he ever, in any of those movies you have ever seen with his dying breath, ever utter a sentence like... Bring me the big screen television sets. I just want to touch it one more time.
2: Yeah. Why don't you come prop me me up in my car? I want to go smell it one more time. Nobody cares.
0: No, you laugh because it's (laughs) preposterous, right? Uh Okay. Now let's get serious. But think about that actual moment, which we are all going to face in our lives, when you are clinging to life with your fingertips, as Maury eventually did. In that final moment of life, when you are just hanging on, all that you own is of no use to you. Mm-hmm. All that you have purchased brings you no comfort. It's not even in the same room as you, right? It's in the garage. Mm-hmm. It's in the safe deposit box. It's at the bank. It's, it's in real estate. If in that final moment, the final drop of sand through your hourglass, the only thing that counts, the only thing that makes you feel comforted is that the people you love are there. And you can look them in the eye, you can hold their hands, you can tell them how much you love them. Then what makes you think in all the other drops of sand through the hourglass? That's not what's important too right? The drops Mm -hmm. of sand that go through our hourglass are all the same. They teach us that in high school, right? Grains of sand on the shore, there are millions of them, and you couldn't tell one from the other, they're indistinguishable. Well, the one that is dropping through your hourglass now, as you're listening to us the week of Thanksgiving, if that's when you're listening to us, or whenever you are, the one that's dropping through your hourglass now is the same as the one that's going to drop through your hourglass with your dying breath. And what is important in that last one is what's important in the one that's dropping now. We just Mm -hmm. don't believe it because we all think we've got endless sand, right? So I'm going to just keep my sand is just going to keep going through that hourglass. Keep going through. There's more sand to come and more sand to come. So we don't pay attention to what's important in the individual sand now because we think we'll fix things down the road. We'll change our life down the road. But the time to change it is now. And the time to make the priority of not taking but giving is now. I'll give you one last example of this. 9-11. All right. Everybody has an opinion about 9-11 and most of them are political and geopolitical and all the rest of it. I have a different view of that event. To me, that the thing that stands out that I learned the most from that event is when you go listen to the tapes of people who managed to get out phone calls when they were in those burning buildings in New York or on those doomed planes. There were people who managed to get out phone calls, and many of those phone calls have been collected and are kept now in a museum in New York. And you can actually monitor them, listen to them. And what's fascinating is that almost to a one, they followed the same pattern. They called their wives, their husbands, their children, their parents, their loved ones. And they said, I called to tell you I love you. Not, you know, honey, sell the stock. You know, they they called to say I love you. And not even tell me that you love me. In that moment when they were looking death in the face what made them feel most connected to life was giving their love to somebody else, right. right? I called to tell you, I love you. How many times in life does that make you feel the best that you can feel is when you tell somebody else that you love them and not necessarily mm-hmm. when they tell you that they love you. That's because giving is living and it's not something that we should wait until our dying day to figure out for sure. And Maury had it figured out much earlier in his life. And he was able to share it with me. Let's listen to a little bit of what Maury had to say on this subject. You would think when your own health is threatened, your attention would turn inward. Yeah. And you would only say, well, i got to take care of myself here. You know, to hell with everybody else. You seem to be an odd case. You seem to have gone the opposite way.
1: Maury Stein made that remark to me. He said to me, you're remarkable. Usually when you're sick, you want everybody to give to you. You're giving out all the time. Mm-hmm. I comfort people who come here and cry and ask me for advice. And I'll wake up and say, my God, you're comforting me. I'm supposed to be comforting you. I said, it's mutual. If I comfort you, I feel comforted too. Mm-hmm. So goes both ways. Mm-hmm. And when I stop doing that, I don't want to be here. Mm-hmm. That I think is my...
0: Lisa, have you found that in the course of your life, the times that you have been able to give have resonated with you more than the times that you were able to take?
2: Oh, exponentially so. I, you know, nothing feels like that. Nothing in the world feels like giving, even if it's something small, you know, and I try to do that. I just, I just did it this weekend to some kid who was bullied. I don't even know him, but it was a friend of a friend's son. Um, He was bullied at school terrible story. These kids beat him up in the bathroom. They broke his jaw. He's in the hospital. And so I just posted something on social media. And we got all kinds of people to send him cards. My niece's school children, they're, they're uh, in first grade, they're going to send him and make him handmade cards. A girlfriend of mine who's a comedy agent is sending him all kinds of comedy DVDs. And just by arranging that, you know, and then I went on Amazon and I bought him some cool headphones and, you know, some stuff. And I thought, I don't know this kid, but boy, did that feel good. So for like three hours, I was on this, let's, let's gather as much together for this person as we possibly can, you mm. know. And boy, did that feel good. It was such a great, you know, I want to keep, it makes you want to keep going and do more and do more. You know, and it doesn't always have to be something big. You know, it can be something right. so small.
0: Frequently, it is the things that are smaller because, let's face it, it's it's kind of hard to give big. It's easy mm-hmm. to take big. It's easy to go out and spend fifty thousand dollars on some luxury if you've got it. Uh, it's got easy it. <laughs> to commit to something really big and and you know buying a house and. There's all kinds of things out there if you want to spend and take and buy that get bigger and bigger and bigger. But outside of making a larger contribution, meaning, okay, I'll give $1,000 or no, I'll give $10,000 or no, I'll give $25,000, giving is generally a one-on-one act. Giving Mm -hmm. is generally giving of your time, giving of your help, giving of your attention, giving of your physical time. And those things can only sort of be done on a smaller scale. And I think that's part of the reason that they resonate with you. I have been in the position of giving, being able to write a check to charity. And I have been in the position of being able to do a small thing for one child. And while the check for charity, especially if it's large, will probably do Exponentially more good than the one act for the child. The one that stays with me is the act with the child. The mm-hmm. the check I long forgot about. You know, you get a thank you and you know, oh, this is great and this is really going to help us and that's good. I'm happy. I'm, I'm glad, but it doesn't stay with you as much as the doing of the act for somebody else. I, I remember when Chica, my little girl from Haiti, who who was the subject of my new book Finding Chica, she was sick with a brain tumor and. We took her in, and for two years we traveled around the world, and there was this one trip where we took her back to Haiti, and she got really sick while we were there. And it was so sad because she was so looking forward to being with the other kids at the orphanage, and she threw up that night all over me, and then she just wasn't the same. It would turn out she had a blood infection. And so the next day we had to go home, and she barely even said goodbye to the kids, and we got on the plane, we went to the airport. She couldn't walk, so I had to lift her up, and um, I was carrying her in one arm and my roller in another. You know, I had to bang into people to get on the plane. And then I sat her down next to me and she was so weary and she just I, I took a little blanket, I made you know, put it down on the armrest and I said, She could just go to sleep, sweetheart. Just go to sleep. And she put her head down and she put her, you know, head in her arms. And then just before she closed her eyes, she said, Mr. Mitch, what will you do while I'm sleeping? Oh. And I said, I'll just sit here and think about how much I love you. And oh. she said and she said, Okay, that's what I'll do too. And,
2: oh. you know, that was just
0: a moment between the two of us. But being able to give her some comfort because right. she was sick and she was scared. And here, okay, here's a, here's a pillow. Here's a blanket. You can sleep. I'll be right here next to you. So that, that was just the greatest gift that you can give a child is the security of knowing that you're there and that when they go to sleep, they'll wake up. You'll be right next to them you know, especially a child who's sick and is right. worried. And that small act, I can remember every second of that as I'm talking to you, even though that was over two years ago. Then I can when I, you know, like I said, wrote a big check to charity or, or got honored, uh, you know, for doing something and you know, you're you're fetid and they're toasting you and all this stuff. So it is in the small acts. It's in every small act of kindness and giving that I think you you live on, you know?
1: Mm -hmm.
2: That's true. And even things like gratitude, showing somebody gratitude is a way to give to them. Something as small as whenever I talk to some customer service person, which you know that that has to be a very hard job. You know, when you call somebody at the cable company or whatever, and 99% of the day, they have people yelling at them. So whenever somebody does something nice for me, or we have a good call, I always say, can I talk to your manager? I want to leave you a good review. Mm -hmm. And they're always like, whoa, really? Yeah, just let let me talk to them. You know, and you think, here's a Complete stranger, I don't know them. It took me all of two minutes to do something like no that big for deal, somebody, right? yeah. And it could change something for them hugely, you don't even know. It could get them a promotion, it could get them recognition from the people that they work with. It's
0: and I'm little, guessing tiny
2: things like that.
0: That you felt after you did that, there was like a glow, almost like uh, you know, when you get in a hot shower or something, and you, you're even when you come out, you're still warm from the shower. That uh, stayed with you. I love with doing you. that, it I with love you, doing right?
2: things like that. Yeah. I love it. Little tiny things, telling somebody nice about themselves. You know, it doesn't cost a lot. You know, you you embody this. You know, Mitch. um, For people who might not know, you run several charities. What do you have now? Nine, ten? What are nine in Detroit
0: and the orphanage in Haiti? Yeah,
2: in the orphanage, right? So there's ten altogether. Your time to help. You know, when you go out and physically. Uh, Mitch, a crew, everybody goes out, they'll paint buildings, they do things. I remember when I was working on your radio show and we went out at Christmas time. It was a woman's shelter, I think. We brought right. clothes. Prior to that, my mom and dad and I, we all went out and we shopped for new clothes. We did even bring stuff from home. We went and got all kinds of brand new things. We went to the store. We you know, we had so much fun shopping for these people, for the children, for the women. We bought some men's stuff. I came in there with this giant load of things. You know, I still can remember how good that felt, that there was this pile of stuff I put on this table. And when those women came and people started sorting through things and they would pick things off the table and go, wow, this is beautiful. Oh my gosh, look how happy something like that can make. And look how
0: simple it was to do and Mm -hmm. and how easy it is to feel that feeling. And I, I always say when people feel down or they're depressed, something in life has really thrown them. And I'll get asked, I guess because I wrote Tuesdays with Maury, what should I do? How do I feel better? And the circumstances are so different that there isn't a standard answer. But my standard answer is, this is all that I have learned about how you can actually feel better when you feel bad. Go give something to somebody else. Mm -hmm. Go find somebody who has it worse than you, or even temporarily worse than you, or even if they don't have it worse than you, but they need something at that moment, and you give it to them, and there will be a moment where they will say, thank you. Thank you. And you will get a little tingle in your tummy or, you know, insides, and that is being alive. Spark in
2: the heart. Uh Yeah,
0: that is being alive. Mm -hmm. That is being alive. And when you say giving is living, that is the spark that enables you to live. And Maury, week after week with me, gave of himself, answered my questions, tried to counsel me, tried to guide me. And when I look back at it, and I did this when I was with him, I, I actually asked him once, Why are you giving me so much time? You're dying, and you're giving me one seventh of your week. I'm just one kid who wasn 't a very good graduate of your teachings because i didn 't keep in touch with you for sixteen years, He could certainly have spent his time with somebody else who had been more giving to him during his lifetime. I was a wayward student, and he once answered he said, "Well, you remind me of somebody uh, and he gave he said this Yiddish expression, which in a million years i can 't say <laughs> <laughs> it was something." But I said, what does that mean? And he said, you hide your light under a bushel. That was the technical translation. You hide your light under a bushel, meaning you don't let people see the best side of you. Mm. And he said, and that reminded me of somebody. And I said, who? And he said, me, meaning himself. And so I guess that's why he felt that connection. But now I realize that his wife, Charlotte, would tell me sometimes towards the end, he's having a tough weekend. I don't know if he's going to be able to do your Tuesday. But every Tuesday, he rallied for it. And eventually, I had asked him, I said, I heard you weren't feeling well yesterday. I heard you had a tough weekend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, how is it that you're always up for this? And he said, I want to do this. I want to give you this education, this last class And now I realize that that was something that, you know, he might have felt bad when doctors were coming to visit him. He might have felt bad when therapists were coming to visit him, because that was just more of a reminder that he was dying. When I came to visit him, he got to give, and the giving made him feel alive. And I think that's why he never missed a session. I never Mm -hmm. missed a Tuesday. I never got a call saying, can't do it this week, we'll go for next week. Not once, despite... Anyone who knows the decaying factors of ALS know that there are many days that you're not up to your full self. But Mm -hmm. he never missed it because I think that made him feel alive.
2: Well, and you were giving to him by being there, Mitch. You were giving to him by letting him give to you. I think that probably was a gift to him. You know, that's why he looked so forward to you coming, because it gave him a chance to share the things that meant so much to him.
0: Well, I'll tell you how that sort of ultimately played out to bring this sort of full circle. Many people don't know this, but Tuesdays with Maury was not a desired book by very many people. Maury told me partway through our visits, we were taping our conversations and I was writing things down because we were sort of student and teacher. And he actually would say to me, I think this would make a really good thesis and I didn't have the heart to say to him, I'm not in school. (laughs) I don't know where I'm supposed to write a thesis. You only write a thesis if you're in school. So we were doing this kind of exercise from early on. When he said to me at one point, I asked him a question, I said, what do you fear the most in your life with this disease? And he said, and I thought he was going to say, I fear the way I'm going to die because it's a, it can be a nasty, difficult, you know, you can't breathe and you can't swallow and you're choking. And, and he didn't say anything like that. He said, I fear the debt I'm going to leave my family. Mm. And I said, what do you mean? And that's when I found out how in debt he was for the services that he had been utilizing for the better part of two years. And, you know, a lot of that stuff is not covered by insurance if you're doing it at home and it's every single day and it adds up and he really didn't have the money to cover it. And he said, you know, I feel like I'm going to die a second death. First, I die physically, and then I burden my family with trying to pay off this debt. I'm going to die again. So it was only through that that I had the idea, maybe I could write a book and maybe get some money for him to pay off his bills. That was really the only reason I tried to turn this thesis into a book. And I went around to publishers in New York, and many of them just flat out booted me from the office. I mean, you wouldn't believe the reactions. Boring. Nobody's interested in that. It's depressing. You're a sports writer. Who's going to want to read a sports writer writing a book like this? I remember one place, I won't say who it was, but it was a very well-known publisher. Uh, The guy said to me, listen, I don't even think you know what a memoir is. Why don't you come back in 20 years when you're a little older and more seasoned, maybe you'll be ready. I mean, that was kind of nasty. And I really would have given up Lisa if it wasn't for the fact that I was trying to raise money for him. Now, right. if it had been for me, I would have said, you know, this is a bad idea. I mean, look how many flat out rejections. Rejections, right. Let yeah. me come up with something else. But because it was for him, because it was to give to him, I kept pushing. And we ultimately found a publisher not long before Maury died. And they agreed to give us the money up front, which was part of the deal, because I wanted Maury to have it. Mm -hmm. And I went to Maury after we figured this out. I did not tell him during the process that I was doing this at all, because I didn't want him to be disappointed. I didn't want to get his hopes up. So he had no idea. And finally, one Tuesday, I came in and I said, um, I got some good news. Oh, really? What? Uh, You know this thesis that we're doing? Yeah. I said, well, I have a publisher who's interested in publishing it as a book. Really? Who? Doubleday. Oh, I heard of them. <laughs> I said, Well not only that, but they're gonna give us some money and I want you to have all the money and pay off your debts. And that ah. way you don't you don't have to die a second death. And Maury cried, which ah. was not unusual. And I'm crying. <laughs> well, and and I always say to people, that was to me the end of Tuesdays with Maury. For me. Wow. For me. Wow. Because I had finally learned this one lesson that he had been trying to teach me that giving is living. I had been a largely selfish person up to that point in my life before I started visiting him. And this was really what I would say the first act that I did primarily for somebody else without any... Remember, I was a sports writer, so a book like this was Mm -hmm. not going to do a whole lot for my career. And of course, nobody thought anybody would read it. So it was just about making a, a you know a, a business arrangement that would bring him some money. And I felt like I had never felt before when I left that Tuesday. I felt, wow, he was so happy. He was so grateful. He was so at peace. And I had this, like, I don't know how to describe it, Lisa. It was like just this ease with myself. For the first time, I wasn't tense about something. I wasn't ambitious. I wasn't go, 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 go. It was just calm. Like, you did the right thing. You did the right thing. And it was because I gave something to him in return for all of the things he had given me. And that was my first real exposure to giving his living. And Maury has affected me in that way immeasurably since then. But that Tuesday, Mm -hmm. when I told him, listen, I want you to have this, I'm doing this for you, and his gratitude and the look in his eye and his crying that that changed everything for me and it was an act of giving not taking it wasn't something that i got that changed my life it was something that i gave that changed my Mm -hmm. life and now look at where we are here and maury continues to give and it's 20 plus years later that's
2: something isn't it I wonder if he, he would have never dreamt that this would happen, no. I bet, that, that his no. word would continue, that, that uh, he had inspired so many people worldwide with his messages and those little visits. That,
0: that he'd still be teaching, effectively. Mm-hmm. and <laughs> So great. What prompted, uh, here, I'll close with this little anecdote. What prompted a lot of this discussion was a trip that I took in on a Tuesday morning, and I was reading the newspaper on my way there, and in this newspaper was a story about Ted Turner. You remember Ted Turner, time mm-hmm. owned Turner Broadcasting and all that. And he was in the news because he was trying to buy, I think it was CBS, don't hold me to it, but it was a network. And he was doing all these kinds of things, leveraging stock, whatever, whatever it is that big business people do to buy a network. And there was an article about it in the paper. And for some reason, this reporter asked Ted Turner, why is it so important to you? You have so much, you're so rich. Why is it so important to you to get CBS? And his answer was, "I don't want my tombstone to read, he never owned a network."
2: Uh, that
0: uh, was that was what he had said. Uh, and
2: ay, ay, ay. I
0: brought that to Maury <laughs> oh. because Maury was trying to decide what to put on his tombstone.
2: Oh, geez.
0: And I said, "Well, how about this? You never owned a network either." And we <laughs> laughed. But Maury's desire for his expression on his tombstone, a teacher to the last. Uh, a teacher well, to the last. He sure, he sure but now, did achieve but now, that. But think about the difference between those two statements. He right. never owned a network. That's about mm-hmm. taking, taking and what you mm-hmm. can take. A teacher to the last, that's about giving. Wow. And so in this Thanksgiving season, giving being the second half of Thanksgiving, the first half is really important too, the thanks part which uh, we'll do a show on in some weeks to come about gratitude for what we have. But the giving part is critical, and I hope everybody can fill their holidays with uh, with that giving spirit. I know a lot of people who have taken recently to spending the first part of Thanksgiving down at a soup kitchen or some homeless shelter where they can, serving a meal to someone else, and then coming mm-hmm. home and having a meal at their ho- home. And the appreciation of the meal that they have is exponentially increased by the giving of a meal to people who don't have. And its it may sound like a cliche, oh, I go to a soup kitchen on Thanksgiving. But, you know, sometimes cliches are okay if they're for the good. And something like that is for the good. Uh, mm-hmm. So giving is living. Let's hear one more time from Maury before we go.
1: When you have a more or less chaotic society and it's not clear what are the real values that are deeply meaningful. And then you'll grasp onto the major cultural values like money, status, and power. And that's what happened. Kids were confused. They didn't know it was, quote, the ethical, the good things to believe in. So they grab on to what everybody else says is good. Get some of money. Get yourself some power. Get some high status then you're going to have a good life. They later find out it's not a good life. It's too empty. There's no real substantial meaning in it. But by that time, it's too late. They're 20, 30 years older. They've gotten caught in the trap of having a big house and a family. So they have to keep doing their business or their stock manipulations or take out their needs for love by merging more and more and more, getting more and more things, more and more power. And they're bewildered. I think probably 90% of this country is bewildered about what it is we really should be as human beings.
0: Good words. We wish everybody a great Thanksgiving, and I want to thank you for listening to us on this particular edition of the Tuesday People podcast. Lisa, we have a little details?
2: First of all, I'm thankful for you, Mitch. Oh, well, and thank I'm you. thankful for all of our listeners. I've really, right. you know, we, we're developing a nice little community here, and, and it's so great. And for That's people who want to join us, yeah, we have a, um, our Tuesday People community. We have a Facebook group. Go to Facebook. Go to Tuesday People. Join us. And, you know, we'll, we're going to start posting in the near future topics for people to join in. And we're going to start having people come on our show with us. So look for that coming in the very near future.
0: All right. We'll be able to take phone calls from all of you around the world uh, and answer some of them. And that would be great. And that's part of the whole Tuesday People community. So Lisa, I, I am grateful for you And on this podcast. I also want to thank everybody out there who has given me the response to my new book, Finding Chica. Such love and such uh, warm comments. Not The likes I have not seen since Tuesdays with Maury, uh, really. There right. a lot of books in between and people were nice on those. But the reaction of people to Finding Chica and the story of our little girl and her bravery and her inspiration. And just like like with Maury, she's the she's the story. I was the mm-hmm. person to whom it happened, and I was the conduit and the storyteller. But she's the story, and Maury was the story. And you know, two decades apart, they both taught amazing lessons. And I just have to thank all of you, even in these early days of the book. I, I've never received such warm, loving comments. Uh, and now in the world with tweets and Instagrams, you can get them a lot more. It used to be letters, you know, back in Tuesdays of morning right. <laughs> days. You used to wait for the mail to come. Now you can hear it from, from so many different places. So my gratitude to you on this Thanksgiving week for the way that uh, Finding Chica is being embraced. And we'll look forward to seeing you um, next Tuesday, because that's what Tuesday people do. They meet on Tuesdays. Until then, I uh, on behalf of Lisa Goich, this is Mitch Album wishing you the absolute happiest Thanksgiving and looking forward to talking to you next Tuesday.
2: Thank you for listening to Tuesday People. To be part of our conversation, join the Tuesday People community at wetuesdaypeople.com. Subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode and share it with your friends. We look forward to having you with us every Tuesday because, after all, we're Tuesday People.